Network. When you can stand with a clear mind while all around you are losing theirs, you must be listening to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your better man is Dan Newman. I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm the better man. I believe I am better than some people, and I'm sure there are people that are better than I am. But you know what? I don't get caught up in comparisons. When I was much younger, yeah, I did because I was in competition for pretty much everything. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're young, you're looking for a girlfriend and there's somebody else that likes the same girl that you like and you're wanting to impress her above them. That's competition. I'm almost 70 years old. (laughs) I can't live that life anymore. What's that old saying? It is what it is. And when you get to a certain point, you can tweak some things about your lives, but without just blowing up your life, you can't make any real big changes. Well, you can, but those aren't the things that you want to happen to you. So you don't get into doing those or rushing after those kinds of changes. And every one of you that's over 55 years old, you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. By the way, good morning to everybody and welcome to Midweek, Wednesday at TNN Live. I'm so glad that you chose to join us here today. You make that choice every day you come. We understand you're making a choice to be here. And I don't take that lightly. I appreciate you all so very much. And I appreciate the text and emails that I get, the comments that we get here, because it's always good to know if we're hitting the bullseye or if we're missing the mark. And you know, when we look around us, look at our world and look at the chaos and the confusion that's everywhere, I was sitting back last night and just kind of thinking through the last two and a half years, thinking about the election in 2020 Joe Biden winning that election, becoming the 46th president of the United States and the resulting stuff. And I'm being kind when I call it stuff. If I was calling it what it really is, it would be another S word and you know exactly what I'm referencing. And I look at it. Who would have thought three years ago that we could possibly be at the place where we are today regarding Everything, nothing seems to be absolute anymore. Back then, we at least did have some measurable positivity that Americans and people of other political ilk were seeing play out every day in our lives. Um, I don't see that anymore. I don't sense that anymore. Instead, What it seems like everybody has done is started circling their collective wagons with other like-minded people. And there's massive division between those clusters of people around the wagons. You know what I'm referencing? Divisiveness. Division. Anger. Hatred. And the gaps between groups of people are growing wider and wider and wider. And no longer do we have those common causes. 
that we could circle our wagons around. Things like the flag, freedom and justice and liberty for all, equal justice under the law, Americans, and trust in our government. Oh, my gosh. All of that has just been blown up. It's like somebody dropped a big national cluster bomb right in the middle, the heart of the nation, and it spread out and obliterated all of the things that we felt we had on the backs of our parents. We had continued to make them grow in positive ways and building a better nation for our kids and our grandkids. I look around now, honestly, I don't feel a sense that we are getting the results that you and I, most of us, thought we would be getting and certainly that we hope for. They're not showing up. And so why is that? Let me give you a phrase, and you need to remember this. Quote it to somebody you know and love and you care dearly about what they think about life, and you don't want them to get despondent. We're living in a world today perpetrated by one political party. Now, I'm not saying the Republican Party is the party, the only one that matters. I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative. Conservatism, that ideology regarding politics, is as close as I have ever seen being what the American people need to perpetuate because it's true conservatism built on the backs of our fathers, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, even with all of their mistakes rolled in. They believed in one nation under God. I know that was added later. It wasn't part of the original saying. I know all that stuff. But the reason it was added was because that's what was going on. Our forefathers founded this nation on Christianity. You can argue all you want, but you can't change the facts. Facts live in a vacuum. Now, were they all good Christian men and women? Not necessarily. I'm sure there were some that weren't people of God. That's not the point. The consensus was... There is a power higher than us. And we have certain rights that were endowed to us, not by our government, but by the God who men and women who came here from Europe worshipped and they believed he is God. And he was God. And God is infallible. There are millions of people that argue with me on that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Substance is far more important than symbolism. And the words I wanted to leave with you this morning at the top of the show are those words. We live in a world now today, the structure is this, symbolism over substance. Our forefathers, five, six, seven generations of Americans they believed and they worked diligently every day in every, every area of their lives, their homes, their families, their communities, their businesses, 
they worked to establish substance. Substance. Something that you could taste and see and touch and feel. And it was far less about symbolism. Symbolism is little more than trying to get somebody to think something. And so you give them something that is symbolic of what you want them to think. Symbolic of what you want them to feel. But isn't the substance of that symbolism far better than just an example of what could happen, what could be? Why not go after that substance? And let's just go back. Let's circle back. Let's gin sake back. And go back and readdress government, social existence, everything in American lives. Reassess. And let's go back to together pushing substance over symbolism. Symbolic things, ah, they're just good to catch people's attention and draw their attention to something. But the substance of what it is... Oh my gosh, that's all that matters, don't you think? And Aubrey was her name And not so very ordinary girl or name But who's to blame? For a love that wouldn't bloom For the hearts that Played in tune Like a lovely melody That everyone can sing Take away the words that rhyme It doesn't mean a thing And Aubrey was her name We tripped the light Together to the moon But where was June? No, it never came around If it did, it never made a sound Maybe I was absent or was listening too fast Catching all the words But then the meaning Going past God, I missed the girl And I'd go a thousand times Around the world Just to be Closer to her
would make her stay I have learned to lead a life apart from all the rest I can't have the one I want I'll do without the best How I miss the girl And I'd go Really good years back then, David Gates and Bread. That's one of their big hits. It's about a girl, obviously, a girl named Aubrey. Really pretty song there. Maybe I should have played something a little more energetic to get you all charged up for the day. But sometimes I just like cool, smooth-sounding music, don't you? I mean, we've got enough uproar in our lives. We don't need to hear every minute of our day You know, we didn't need to hear some rock and roll or rap song this morning to get cranking. There is so much happening as we speak right now. Yeah, the House is having a big committee hearing with FBI Director Christopher Wray. This is the first committee hearing he's been in since the Durham report dropped. And uh, during our breaks, we're listening, and if anything big bomb drops in that committee hearing... We'll, uh, we'll bring you that immediately. Just wanted to let you know that. You know this guy, Gal, what's his name? I can't pronounce his last name. He is a, uh, he's a dual citizen of the United States and Israel. Gal, G-A-L, Luft, L-U-F-T. He allegedly, we talked about this yesterday, he allegedly willfully failed to register under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. That's FARA. That's what you hear it called all the time. While he was working to advance the interest of China. Now, that's in parentheses. He is working to, in parentheses, advance the interest of China. That's an allegation that's contained in an indictment that was issued for him yesterday. And they say... He was working for China in the U.S., and he was brokering the illegal sale of Chinese weapons and Iranian oil to China. Now, this is according to the indictment. The DOJ alleged that Luft's think tank, called the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, accepted at least $700,000 from CEFC China Energy starting back in 2015. That happens to be, by the way, the same time. Chinese firm and the same firm that allegedly sent millions to bank accounts in the United States, accounts linked to Hunter Biden and his quote-unquote associates in 2017. In the indictment, here's what it says. Quote, for years, Gal Luft, the defendant, a dual U.S. Israeli citizen and others known and unknown, engaged in multiple international criminal schemes, including a scheme to act within the United States to advance the interest of the People's Republic of China as agents of China-based principles without registering as foreign agents as required under U.S. law. 
So a division of CEFC sent $100,000 to a Wasco. That's a company controlled by Hunter Biden. Oh, it was just a hundred grand. That transaction or that wire transfer was on August 4th of 2017, just a couple of days after Hunter sent a text to CEFC associate Raymond Zhao in which he cited his, quote, ability to forever hold the grudge if certain business was not conducted. In other words, they didn't pay as they had agreed they would pay. And in that text, there was a mention that Hunter's father was nearby at the same time, referring to President Joe Biden. Pictures from Hunter's laptop, by the way, show that Joe was with Hunter on that very day. They were together. How about that? Additionally, the CEF subsidiary sent payments totaling a paltry $5 million to Hudson West III, a business linked to Hunter, and that transfer took place August 8th of 2017. That's according to a Senate report. Hudson West III then paid a Wasco, Hunter's personal corporation, $5 million. Do those wire transfers, Congress has them, has unquestionable facts from the banks where this money came from, where it went. The DOJ's indictment cites as evidence against Luft. Now, wait a minute. Nobody's indicting Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden worked and bragged about working for the Chinese CEFC subsidiary. Subsidiary of what? The Communist Chinese Party. He hadn't been indicted. Left. We played you Friday of last week. Mr. Luft, Gal Luft, came forward because he had gotten word the DOJ was coming after him to shut him up. And in case something happened, he did a 13-minute video explaining everything. He is the one that reached out to the DOJ years ago and brought to them uncontroverted evidence, uncontroverted evidence that showed the Biden family, the whole family, top to bottom and as wide as it gets, had been working with the Chinese Communist government and the government of Ukraine and the government of Russia and the government of Romania and presented in a meeting that he asked for. And our FBI went and met him in Brussels for the meeting. You can't make this up. Mr. Luft, by the way, is the secret witness that Republicans on the Oversight Committee, they didn't bring him up by name, but he was an unnamed whistleblower that they wanted to get before Congress to testify. And just all of a sudden, look back at 2017, all this started back then. All of a sudden, the DOJ yesterday they indicted Mr. Luft, knowing all this time, six years, that he did what he did, 
They hadn't made any of those allegations that are included in this indictment. They could have arrested him on the spot numerous times. We have agreements with the Belgium government. That's where he was part of the time. And oh, by the way, don't forget, he's a dual citizen, U.S. and Israel. And we have a joint agreement with Israel. We could have issued an indictment and then sent that indictment to the Israeli government where he lives most of the time. But they didn't do that. I wonder why they waited till yesterday to indict Mr. Luft. And it was because of FARA. Now keep that in mind. FARA means if you do work with and for a foreign country that has anything to do with the U.S., you are required to register. It's called a FARA. You have to register, fill out that form, file it with the U.S. State Department so that they know what's going on, that you are dealing with foreign entities. Hunter Biden never did that. He never did that. We factually have given you evidence that shows Hunter Biden set up the same people with the CEFC that are part of a company that is at least partially owned by the Chinese Communist Party. He brokered meetings in Washington, D.C. between these people. He played golf with them. He had lunch with them and his father, Joe Biden. Mr. Luff never did any of that. (laughs) The rule of law, it's two-tiered. No question about it, at least two. And this Democrat Party, this administration, Department of Justice, FBI, all of them are thumbing their noses at you and I, and they're saying, we don't answer to the same laws that we're making you answer to. We get a free pass for everything. Nine out of boo-boo. If you blink wrong and you're a conservative, You're not just a conservative. You're one of those evil MAGA conservatives. You're a white supremacist just because you're conservative. And they're no longer just calling us names. They're arresting us. Gal Luft, just the first brick to fall. You watch. We're going to go downhill from there. Meanwhile, Big deal, but it's really no big deal to mainstream media, legacy media. It's no big deal to the Democrats in the Democrat Party or anybody in the Democrat Party, period. But today, the House Republican Party is about to drop a bomb on Alejandro Mayorkas, Department of Homeland Security Secretary. And so what's what's involved in all of this? Well, Mayorkas apparently broke the law. Now, Homeland Security Committee Chairman Mark Green, he's releasing a very lengthy report today detailing just the initial findings of his committee's probe into the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Green launched this, this investigation into Mayorkas back in June 14th. Wait a minute. 
That's less than a month ago. And he's already got facts. That disproves something. You don't have to be um, a Democrat to find facts out about any wrongdoing going on in Washington, D.C. And if you do happen to need to get those things, it doesn't take six years to get the facts if you really want the facts. That's what Democrats, this thing with Gal Luft, it's six or seven years old before they even mention it let alone take legal action in the alleged wrongdoing. The initial phase of this investigation focuses on the DHS secretary's alleged dereliction of duty. Green says the more than 100 pages of findings from the first phase of this probe will be released very quickly, very soon. The list of everything that we've learned so far in phase one The dereliction of duty phase will be published very shortly. This is Green speaking. In fact, I'm proofing the final document, which is 111 pages long, but laws that have been violated. In some cases, we believe that Mayorkas has broken the law himself. Green mentioned several instances where he's sure Mayorkas has committed intentional and willful dereliction of duty, referring to DHS's use of the CBP-1 phone application we told you about several times that allows and already has allowed tens of thousands of migrants to enter the country each month through ports of entry at the southern border. And there is no constitutional provision that allows that to happen. Mayorkas made it up. He also believes Mayorkas lied to Congress when he asserted that DHS had operational control of the U.S.-Mexico border. Well, you don't even have to question or try to find proof. Just get an interview with anybody. Our southern border is not under operational control of the United States of America. It's not today. It hasn't been for sure during the Biden administration. There's the line to Congress. There's the CBP-1 app, which is just this big shell game to produce automatic mass parole in violation of the laws that were passed by Congress. Nobody can unilaterally change a law that's passed by Congress. Oh, yes, there's one body that can do it and did do it, and so far, with impunity, no accountability, Alejandro Mayorkas. There's also sort of negligent dereliction of duty, Green said. He admitted in the Senate that he didn't understand the cartel strategy, despite the fact that Merrick Garland very clearly understood it when he testified. If you're the guy who's in charge of Homeland Security and protecting the border and going against the cartels, you probably should understand the major strategies of the drug cartels. I mean, come on. Is Mayorkas an actual idiot? I'm not in government. I don't know squat about the daily ins and outs of operating the Homeland Security Department. I don't. But I can tell you this one thing. I know what the cartels are all about. They are about creating dollars and cents, or in their case, in many cases, it's pesos. And the best way to do it, and to do it without getting in trouble, having no accountability, break laws willy-nilly like you want to break them, 
no accountability from anybody on the Mexican side or the U.S. side. It's about making money. And anything goes. Kidnap kids, sell kids. Kidnap young women, kidnap young women, sell them. Drugs, no problem. Hey, we'll hook up with China. They're the masters of creating fentanyl. We'll buy fentanyl from them and we'll disguise it here in Mexico and we'll slip it across the border and we'll sell it to innocent Americans and a bunch of them are going to die and we we think that that's too bad. It's worth it because we're making money selling them death. It doesn't take a brain surgeon. It doesn't take an immigrant, which is what Alejandro Mayorkas is. He immigrated to the United States and he came here legally. He got his law degree. He knows better than all of this stuff. But he's working for a feckless guy that will not hold anybody accountable for anything, including himself and his own son. So why would we think that it would be any different than that? Wow. You're getting kind of personal out there today, Dan. Yep, I am, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Big Joe, my friends. Uncle Joe, Daddy Joe, the big guy, whatever you want to call him. He is in deep, deep trouble. And sadly, I don't think he has the cognitive ability, Joe, to even understand how much trouble he's in. Larry Kudlow kind of weighed in on part of it. Joe Biden is in a heap of trouble. He faces bribery charges at home that are based on fact, not fiction. This is no Hillary Clinton campaign made-up story. This is senior whistleblowers and bank accounts from the Treasury and audio tapes that have surfaced from FBI reports, even though the FBI has tried desperately to cover them up. Meanwhile, Mr. Biden has chosen to boycott the NATO dinner tonight, which is unheard of for a U.S. president, leading not only the largest country and the biggest military power in the alliance, but also its principal financier. He's saying no to Ukraine-NATO membership. Okay, you may have a point there, but he's not even going to talk to Zelensky and the others about this decision. This bad boy behavior comes right after his Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, was caught on camera bowing and scraping before the number two Chinese communist. So let me get this right. We're bowing to the Chinese and boycotting our allies. Does anybody get that? Does anybody understand that? Mr. Biden faces a slumping economy and a sticky inflation problem as real wages keep sinking and the middle-class blue-collar working folks are in full revolt. Witness the UAW leadership, which is skewering President Biden because of severe cuts to auto workers' wages resulting from Biden's radical climate policies. UAW President Sean Fain blasted Biden climate policies, and I'll quote, there have been clear winners and losers, and the same people who've always won, the corporate elite and the billionaire class, seem to think they can keep calling the shots, end quote. Remember, Joe Biden is supposed to be the union president. Now, a study by the liberal left Good Jobs First, a group that's funded by labor unions, concluded that EV plants will each receive more than a billion dollars a year from the U.S. government, 
with no requirement to pay good wages to production workers, end quote. Actually, the badly misnamed Inflation Reduction Act that the UAW opposes is really a massive Green New Deal climate giveaway to big corporations, to Biden political donors, and various Democratic woke and DEI interest groups. It's also a fiscal fiasco. Recently, the Joint Tax Committee has re-estimated the cost of all the massive greenie tax credits from a $400 billion price tag, big enough, to a $790 billion price tag. The Penn Wharton economic model has put it at $1.2 trillion. Anyway, House Republicans wisely have tried to pare back this monstrosity. So far, they haven't had much luck. At the same time, the House did pass H.R. 1, which would have reopened the fossil fuel spigots through more drilling, leasing, permitting, pipelining, refining, and LNG exporting. And let's face it, the U.S. has the cleanest natural gas and oil, for that matter. Over the last 10 years, U.S. carbon emissions have dropped 1.2 billion tons, by far the biggest carbon decline of any industrialized country. China, India, Russia, and Saudi Arabia have led the way toward carbon increases. Now, the GOP wants to roll back subsidies, stop ESG and decarbonization banks and investment managers. And this would place fossils on a more even playing field with renewables for an all-of-the-above energy policy that would once again lead to American energy dominance around the world. Believe it or not, a recent study, this is so wonderful, a recent study from Joe Biden's own CEA and OMB shows that a 2.2 Fahrenheit degree increase in climate warming over the past 120 years has had a minuscule, minuscule impact on American GDP and did not stop progress in virtually every area of life. Another two Fahrenheit degree warming increase over the next 80 years, according to their study, will similarly have virtually no impact on the economy. That is the Biden CEA and OMB, but I don't think he ever talks to them, and I know he didn't read their report. Finally, American ingenuity and technological advances will make all these energy sources cheaper, cleaner, and more accessible if we just let free market policies proliferate and stop the top-down central planning that has so badly failed something weirdly called Bidenomics. There you go, folks. Forget about the political issues, the quandary that Joe Biden finds himself in every day. Self-inflicted. None of this stuff in our political issues, back and forth, social physical, fiscal, economically, foreign policy, none of this stuff had to happen. In fact, this president, when he stepped forward, took the oath of office, and that day became the president, the 46th president of the United States, every one of the areas that you just heard Larry Kudlow detail, who is one of the foremost economic experts in the world, None of those things had to happen. It was self-inflicted. Joe Biden did that to himself, but worse of all is in doing that to himself. Who 
who else is implicated in it? You and I, the American people. And by the way, the ripple effect, nothing happens in anything in the United States in a vacuum. Nothing, not a thing. There are waves that go out across the world from our shores that impact every other country on the planet. And unfortunately for them, our president is the one that is throwing the rocks that are causing needless ripples and in some cases big waves in our partners' lives around the globe. And it's happening needlessly. It's happening by choice, by Joe Biden, but I don't think Joe has much of a clue about what's going on. I think whoever his handlers are, whoever's writing the script and praying that Joe will not get off the teleprompter but stay on the script, those are the people or the person. I don't have any idea. We have a lot of suspicions. You have your own suspicions. And I think if we put our heads together, we could probably whittle it down to three or four people. But nevertheless, whoever's doing what Joe is putting out there that we're hearing about and that people in the media, the honest media, are telling us about, those things were unnecessary. They did not have to happen and don't need to be continuing today. But the left in the United States are hell-bent on destroying the most conservative, the most economically and socially free country in world history. What could be their purpose? Don't think for one moment. They have no purpose because they do. 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dads. Eight celebrities compete to become the real baby and Johnny. Look at my Johnny is. Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind 
a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are? TNN, the Truth News Network. We're going to digress a little bit. I'm going to take you back to Sunday. Do you know who Fareed Zakaria is? He is a CNN expert. And on Sunday, he aired a recorded interview with Joe Biden. We don't know how edited the final version was, but it was, I'm certain, very edited. Or if Biden had been given questions prior so that he could recite his practiced answers for the camera, which happens all the time. But it showed, very surprisingly, I saw a bit of it, Biden was well in control, seemingly. Zakaria is a veteran journalist, but he didn't adequately follow up or challenge Biden on some very crucial moments in that conversation, that interview. We fact-checked Biden's statements and concluded the president's answers were far from truthful on the most vital matter of global security. What would that be? America standing as the Russia-Ukraine war continues whether we want to admit it or not right now, on the world stage, the big banana is Russia, Ukraine. Here's just a segment of it. I'm not going to play it for you. I'm going to, for sake of time, I'm going to read part of this uh, this back and forth interview. Zakaria said this, when you go to NATO to the summit, the big strategic issue is that Ukraine wants membership in NATO. Should it get membership in NATO? Biden replied, I don't think it's ready for membership in NATO, but here's the deal. I spent, as you know, a great deal of time trying to hold NATO together because I believe Putin has had an overwhelmingly objective from the time he launched 185,000 troops into Ukraine, and that was to break NATO. He was confident, in my view, and many in the intelligence community, he was confident he could break NATO. Well, let's just give you a little fact check. It is true that Biden has strengthened NATO and will be formally welcoming neutral Sweden into the fold at the summit after inducting neutral Finland into NATO last year. Biden has also caused NATO countries to step up their defense spending dramatically. This move was vehemently criticized by the liberal media when Former President Trump urged NATO members to do the same thing, and for the first time in NATO history, our NATO members did it under President Trump. What Biden is doing on that vein is just following what Trump put in place. Oh my gosh, if you said that to him, he'd spit in your face. He doesn't want anybody to say he's following up on something Trump created. Every italicized word in Biden's response, the one you just heard, is false or misleading. You can't see it, so what part is italicized? Quote, I believe Putin has had an overwhelming objective from the time he launched 185,000 troops into Ukraine, and that was to break NATO. He was confident, and many in the intelligence community, as well as I, know he was confident, Putin was, He could break NATO. So why is NATO suddenly so united? (laughs) 
Biden administration has cleverly communicated to each country that they may be next on Putin's list of countries to invade. Now, we put in context just how small and connected Europe is compared to the United States. We think about multiple countries. Over there, I've been there. I've been in a rent car there. I've traveled in one day from Switzerland to Germany to Liechtenstein to Austria and Italy in a car in one day. They're very close together, and so they think differently. When we talk about China maybe doing something against us militarily, oh, China's way on the other side of the world from us, right? When you talk about Russia doing something to a European country, it's not far away from Russia to any European country. So they're thinking differently than are we. Nothing motivates a country like fear. And it's little wonder that nations want NATO's Article 5 protection, which states that an attack on one NATO nation is an attack on all of NATO's member nations. Socially, liberal democracies would love for other NATO countries to assume the cost of their defense. But here's the catch that Zakaria never questioned. There is no evidence that Putin intended to expand his attacks to countries other than Ukraine. There hasn't been any, and so far there isn't any, and it doesn't look like there's any on the horizon. Putin has been fighting a war since 2014. Remember, he annexed Crimea from Ukraine, lost a coveted G8 spot among the world nations as a penalty for doing that. America had a huge hand in the Maidan revolution in Kyiv that triggered the then-Moscow-friendly Ukraine government's collapse. Besides, as the grinding war in Ukraine has shown, Putin doesn't have the military might to annex and hold other NATO countries. He can't even hold Ukraine. He can't get it back. Biden also conveniently mismentioning that Putin attacked Ukraine in the first place. Why did he do it? Zelensky's unforced error was to fall for Biden's neocon foreign policy team, which aggressively pushed Ukraine to abandon neutrality and align with America for security assurances. Zelensky knew the risk of doing that, given Putin's repeated grievances expressed since 2014. Russia didn't want next-door Ukraine to become weaponized by the West, and certainly not to be part of NATO. Yet on November 10th of 2021, the U.S. and Ukraine did what Putin had fought against since the Munich conference way back in 08. They signed a strategic agreement with an entire section devoted to countering future Russian aggression. It outlined how the U.S. would step up weapons delivery to Ukraine, currently running to nearly... $120 billion, taxpayer dollars. It specified how Ukraine's integration into Euro-Atlantic institutions are concurrent priorities, as evidenced by Zelensky having dinner with President Biden in Vilnius at the NATO summit. Zakaria questioned 
the president about sending cluster munitions when in a rare moment of candor, Biden agreed that Ukrainians are running out of ammunition, an admission that the war is not going well, despite the substantial resources that America and our allies have poured into Ukraine. The veteran journalist never asked Biden about the cost of war. You know who else was listening to that interview? Our foreign enemies, China, North Korea, Russia. Do you think that maybe Biden dropping a little bit of we're running out of weapons, we don't have weapons like we, we don't have any other weapons to send to Ukraine so we can send cluster bombs? You think that may have had a little bit to do with what Kim Jong-un said on Monday? Ah, we're about to start shooting American planes out of the air. You think he would have said that if Donald Trump was still in office? Trump would have called him up and said, listen here, little short, fat, round man. You even think about that. We'll blow your country off the face of the map. Millions of those refugees from Ukraine, they've resettled all across Europe. The largest migration since WW2. Many are finding it hard to adjust to life in foreign countries. The influx has severely strained the budgets of destination countries, causing labor strife and a lowering of living standards. So weaned off Russian energy, Europe is facing an energy crisis like never before. I remember, by the way, before um, January of 2021, we were sending massive shiploads of liquid national gas to our NATO partners, and they could quit buying a bunch of that gas from Russia. But guess who turned the spigot off on our doing that on his first day in office, Joe Biden? The Bank of England's had to raise interest rates to the highest in decades for these countries that are struggling for energy now. The shift in the geopolitical center of gravity is unmistakable. China and Russia have gotten closer together. The BRICS countries, who are they? They now consist of Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. That group met in Cape Town last month. Iran, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Cuba, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Cosmos, I've never heard of, Gabon, I've never heard of, and Kazakhstan sent representatives interested in joining the BRIC bloc. And there are rumors that the alliance is going to launch a currency to rival the dollar, and I can tell you factually, it's underway right now. Let me bring this to a close. The 46th president has been utterly reckless, brought the world closer to World War III. Rather than engage in diplomacy 500 days into this war, he continues to escalate. He's expanding NATO and pushing Russia, the world's greatest nuclear power, into a corner. And yes, Russia is the world's greatest nuclear power. Zakaria had a rare opportunity to aggressively question the leader of the free world, and he squandered it, but he did expose some things there that I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that he did. Before we go any further, I just want to tell you, I listened 
to a Senate hearing yesterday. And I purposely did because you may not have heard about it, but there are a bunch of really bad things that are happening at the top of our military, our whole structure, the Pentagon, trying to get a bunch of new officers confirmed. Every one of those promotions in our military, senior positions in all of our military branches, those spots are nominated. They're nominated, and they have to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Republicans don't have control of the Senate, but these confirmations require 60 votes. And so what has happened because of all of these egregious ESG, the uh, abortion, the United States taxpayers paying for parts of the abortion process for military members, transportation, housing, all those kind of things that are contentious to conservatives. In fact, most Americans don't want the U.S. government funding any of that. So a couple of senators have said until they get this put together where we as taxpayers, the people we represent in our various states, don't want us funding any part of the abortion process until they take that out of the military purview that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin unilaterally put in place, by the way. Congress didn't put it in place. They determined to do it, so they made it part of the deal, making you and I pay for part of the abortion process for military members. And these senators, they said, we're not even going to let those nominations come up for confirmation. And so they're sitting on a shelf. And I mean, it has gotten downright ugly. Yesterday, I listened to former uh, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who ran for the U.S. Senate, he's a new senator, as he talked to the new nominee to take over the job at the top of the Joint Chiefs besides the Secretary of Defense, the number one spot. It's an African-American general, Air Force general. I want you to listen to what Schmidt had to ask this nominee and the responses that he got. In the Air Force. Senator, what I really look at is... Let me go back and start this over again. We had a little volume problem there. General, do we have too many white officers in the Air Force? Senator, what I really look at is the quality of all the officers that we have, and, and, and we look at the, the aspect of everyone who's qualified, um, meets, uh, meets the qualifications, uh, is, is promoted. And what well, I, I would agree with you, but that, that, is, that answer is not consistent with your August 9th memo. In your August 9th memo, you said that you signed on to that there should be a reduction, essentially, of about 9% of the white officers. That's 5,400. We have 5,400, you know, too many white officers. And this is the real impact, I think, of this desire of the administration. I'm saddened to see this in this memo, of this obsession with sort of race-based politics being interjected into our military. How did you come up with the percentage of 67.5% of the officers should be white 
And how did you come up with 13% should be black? And how did you come up with 10% should be Asian? And how did you come up with 1.5% should be American Indian and native Alaskan? How did you come up with 1% being native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander? And how did you come up with 15% of our officers should be Hispanic or Latino? Senator, that is based on the, uh, that memo is on application goals, not the actual makeup of the force. And those, those numbers are based on uh, the demographics of the nation. Okay, well, all right. There's 10% of our country is Asian American. So is that is that the is that where you came up with it? Just a just a percentage of the population, uh, essentially. Because because right now the actual percentage, I mean, this is this is where this is a ridiculous conversation. To be perfectly honest, because the why didn't you come up with or are you going to come up with the percentage of the overall force? Did you contemplate that of how many you know black Americans should be in the Air Force? Or how many Asian Americans should be in the Air Force? Did you contemplate the total force percentages? Senator, what we looked at was the aspect of providing opportunities for anybody who wants to serve. Listen, I, if that were the case, listen, um, if that were what was in this memo, I wouldn't be asking you these questions. But we have in a memo signed by you that you think right now there are too many white officers um, in, in this is a blanket statement. And so I could go down the line of questioning of which of the 5,400 white officers that we have too many should be fired. Because that is the actual impact of all this. I agree with you. Your story about wanting to be the best pilot in the Air Force, regardless of race, that is what the military is supposed to be. It's this great meritocracy. It's why there's uniforms and haircuts. And, I, and I've heard so many of my colleagues talk about you know, infusing abortion politics into this. That is exactly what's wrong. This administration has infused abortion politics into our military, COVID politics into our military, DEI politics into our military, and it is a cancer on, a, on a, the best military in the history of the world. Those men and women deserve better than this. This idea that they have to go through these struggle sessions with DEI training, because trust me, I believe that we ought to have the broadest pool of applicants and get the best and the brightest, and we ought to be recruiting in, in various areas to make sure we have the best and the brightest from every community, regardless of your race or your gender or your ethnicity. But that's not what DEI is. DEI is an ideology based in cultural Marxism. And somehow, some way, we ended up in a place where a general in the Air Force is advocating for racial quotas, whether it be by applicants or the number of officers, or maybe the, the total unit. And I just think that's wrong. I think that's the wrong approach. You have had a distinguished career, and I thank you for your service. I just don't know how we can continue to have leadership that advocates for this divisive policy. And so I'll ask you also, there have been 8,500 military men and women fired because they chose not to get a vaccine if confirmed, what would you do to go out, not just they can reapply and there's a process, to go out and recruit these folks back? What would you do to do that? What would you do to accomplish that? It, Senator, if confirmed, I'd provide them the opportunity to reapply. I just don't think that's good enough. I heard that from uh, Secretary Austin. I just don't think that's good enough. We did a great disservice to this country by firing people because they made that decision. 
I think they ought to be reinstated with rank and back pay. I have not heard that from anybody that's come before this committee. And I'm saddened by that. I, I think I'm out of time, Mr. Chairman. Come to think of it, if, if somebody, an employer, fired somebody for just that, I think there is a lawsuit that could go into that. And does that mean the military, they don't have the same uh, abilities as do private citizens when they're fired unjustly? You think about it. The whole thing stinks. Here's a guy that wants to be the number one person in the U.S. military. He's already a four-star Air Force general. And he came up with a plan to forget about equality, forget about merit, forget about that old age, old American thing where you do the best with the resources you have, you apply yourself, and as you, whatever industry, whatever job you're working in, whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter if you're digging ditches or building skyscrapers, become the best at what you do the very best at what you do, and you'll get more opportunity. No, 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 no. The future, if confirmed, the future head of the Joint Chiefs has a number of how many white officers there should be in his military across all the military branches and how many Asians there should be and so what happens if there, the balance is there are more white officers than his mathematic formula says there should be? Well, we just got to fire old whiteies and replace them, not with whoever is better, not with whoever is more qualified, not with somebody that has proven and through merit given a promotion to a high spot, an officer spot, whatever level, doesn't matter, any officer spot, just because of their skin color, their ethnicity, one would, would be fired and the other would be promoted. I don't know about you, but uh, even though it was for university admission last week, the United States Supreme Court kind of laid it out there. Affirmative action ain't legitimate. And at least in the education system, you can't do it. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. Do you mind? I was in a good place. Then the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take, Take care. care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorised by the Queensland Government 
Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Married to the truth, divorced from the lies, fighting for the future. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And again, Dan Newman. Got our eye on that committee hearing today going on right now in the House. FBI Director Christopher Wray is being grilled. And uh, in our breaks, while that break was going on, that commercial break there, I did tune in. Hadn't been any bombs dropped yet, but I am sure before they're done, some of several of the Republican firebrands on that committee are going to test Christopher uh, Christopher Ray, FBI director, going to test his commitment to his job. (laughs) I think you know what I mean by that. Let's move on. You know, there's somebody in the uh, run for the White House that doesn't get a lot of press. And it's not because he's not trying hard. And it's one of the Republicans in the race, former Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey. And when he entered the race, just because of what he did when he ran previously for president, when he first ran for president, he was big buddies with Donald Trump. Remember, when Christie was the governor of New Jersey for several terms, New Jersey's right across the river from Manhattan. And guess who lived and was a big fish in that pond, Manhattan? Donald Trump. And so Christie constantly was worrying Donald Trump as a personal thing and a political thing, but he was always being nice and giving lip service to Donald Trump until Christie decided to run for the Republican nomination for president. They get on the debate state against each other. And it got vile, personal attacks. I know you probably can't believe that former President Trump would ever get into personal attacks with anybody. But Christie, he kind of threw it back. And though he wasn't as uh, prolific as was Donald Trump, and I use the term prolific not because of uh, anything special other than I couldn't think of anything nice to say about the Trump attacks. But nevertheless, they get into it with each other. So it was kind of shopping, shocking to a bunch of people when Christie announced he was going to run for the 2024 nomination, Republican nomination for president. And I said on this show, when he announced, before he ever made a statement, he announced, I said, he is out there for one reason and one reason only. And that is to... Every day, 24-7, attack Donald Trump. 
attack him. Now, why would he even do that? Well, they're big money people, rhinos, Republican in name only, lots of those people around the nation that want the old kind of Republican Party back. That's the one where you just really don't do anything but make yourself look good and pray for a good economy and that nobody bombs the United States. You know what I'm talking about. They don't like Donald Trump. You know why? He cannot be controlled by the political bureaucrats that created the swamp. And you know exactly the type I'm talking about. Chris Christie attacked Republicans who are advocating, listen to this, if you want to ban child sex changes, Christie said yesterday, you're not conservative. And again, he was speaking principally about people in political power. He said they are not conservative, added that there are many conservatives like Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida who supported efforts to ban child sex changes. At least 16 states have banned or restricted sex change procedures on children. We are having a big argument in our country, too, about parents being excluded from educational choices for their kids, and we, as a Republican Party, Christie's saying this stuff as if he is the spokesperson for the Republican Party. He said, and we as a Republican Party, as conservatives, say parents should decide the children's educational choices. Well, I don't think the government has any business getting between a parent and their child in any of these instances. We should put parents in charge of these decisions when someone is not at the age of a majority, and I always thought that it was what conservatives were about. Now, you may remember this. Parents sued school districts over efforts to transition children socially without the parents' knowledge in Florida and Wisconsin. Now, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about education, public education. All of a sudden, Christie flipped the narrative, and now we're talking about transgendering. A 12-year-old girl reportedly attempted suicide in Florida while administrators were carrying out a social transition without informing her parents. A lot of people are looking to politicians now to take the lead and say enough of this. Enough of these clinics all around America. We had them in the UK with the Traveston and others where, frankly, child abuse and mutilation has been going on. This is according to Pierce Morgan, who's talking on air with Chris Christie yesterday. Pierce Morgan, a flaming liberal, and he's taking on a presidential candidate, former governor of New Jersey, and Chris Christie is calling any American who is anti-trans for their kids and any governor in a state that wants to protect kids he's calling them not conservative 
It's incumbent upon politicians to deal with other issues other than this. Let parents deal with these issues. My view of it is when we have war in Eastern Europe, when we have inflation that is bankrupting people in this country, when we have educational standards dropping through the basement, we have a border we cannot protect, immigration system we can't fix, then no, I don't believe that is what we should be doing, Christy said. Let the government do the things they are supposed to be doing well, first because they start substituting for a parent's judgment. Of course, he's attacking fellow Republican candidate for the presidency, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, but in the same interview, he went nuts, negative, about Donald Trump, his former buddy. It is fine with me for any candidate to think anything they want to think about any issue. It's fine for them to project their opinions on these things, and especially of those who are running for the same office that they're running from. That's part of campaigning. That's part of the democracy that we have our elections structured in. We the people decide, so we the people need to know what everybody thinks about every issue. But there's a difference between pointing out differences and giving opinions and trying to educate people to understand why your opinion is better or makes more sense than those of who you're running against. I understand that. But Christie has this thing. And I don't know if he is, uh, his self-confidence is low and he thinks he has to get nastier and louder to make his points that for, to get people to believe him and support him. But I'm going to tell you this. This guy, he's an empty suit when it comes to substance, but he blathers loudly and he acts like he thinks if he's louder than anybody else in the room, he's going to get his way every time. He wasn't even ever in the running previously. And he is not polling well now in his bid for the presidency. Pierce Morgan asked him about that. And just because I was listening to the interview when I heard it, his response, Christie's response was, listen, I've only been in this thing for five weeks and I think I'm doing pretty darn good right now. And then he he just went on attack. He mentioned what we just said, what I just told you about, and Governor DeSantis, he mentioned Governor DeSantis in a negative way, but then he went postal, anti-Trump about everything. He's horrible. He did nothing for the country, and the American people know it. I'm paraphrasing what Christie had to say. He never substantively came out with any specifics about anything. That, my friends, is how politicians pontificate rather than talk to people. And I honestly feel that Governor Christie is in this race to do nothing but throw mud that has no substance behind it against Donald Trump. Now, who in this nation is most afraid of Donald Trump being elected? Think about that for a second. Who has the most to lose if Trump gets reelected? 
those on the left. So what does that mean in the context of what we're talking about here? There are a lot of people that have lived their lives in politics for a long time under the banner of the elephant, the Republican Party, that are not conservatives. And those are the people that when the Americans saw what Trump could do in four years, in every area of our lives, top to bottom, I mean every area, not just economics, socially, education, foreign policy, border patrol, keeping our southern borders secure, making it secure for the first time in a long time. Everything he put his hand to gave the American people positive results. That's scaring those Republicans to death along with their compadres on the other side of the aisle, that they wear that donkey pin on their lapel. They're Democrats. There's not a lot of difference there. And the more we get into this presidential race, these rhinos are showing their true colors, and Americans are waking up. That's why the independents, registered independents in our 50 states and territories in number are dramatically rising. Are those people that are leaving the Republican Party? No. These are people, some of which, trusted some of these rhinos that have been in office for a long time. Mitch McConnell's one. Lindsey Graham's one. And we could go on and on and on. The Bush family, top to bottom, they're in that category. They don't like Trump. And they want him gone because Trump gave the government back to the people to the extent that he could do through personal cajoling of Americans to do things, to accept things, processes, turn their backs on stuff. And then his second two years, sadly, we had to deal with coronavirus and that made it really difficult to get many things done. But still, even in the second two years, us being in all those brutal lockdowns in the pandemic, we still saw improvement across the board. That petrifies people that believe in and have promoted and continue to promote big government, bigger government with more control. Let's move on. I'm just looking to see uh, if there's any big news coming out of this hearing on Capitol Hill. Really not a whole lot out there. We'll keep watching. Um, in fact, if you're watching the hearing and there's something critical, why don't you uh, send me a note, dan at truthnewsnet.org, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Real quickly, have you noticed who's come out that's all in for Joe Biden to repeat as president of the United States? Somebody that shocked me and a lot of other people. AOC, New York representative, congresswoman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she has endorsed Joe Biden. And it's blowing a lot of people's minds. AOC has officially endorsed President Biden. 
Why do some progressives have a problem uh, with that? Because they see this as AOC falling in line with the moderate Democratic Party who considers President Biden a moderate, nonetheless. Uh, so the former press secretary for Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign calls the endorsement a betrayal of progressive interests, adding that most Democrats don't want Biden to run. Bernie Sanders and AOC are tragically out of step with the movement and the moment. So I guess they want to see her and the squad get commitments in exchange for their endorsement, right? Um, AOC says Biden has done quite a lot, considering the limitations that he has, specifically in the Senate. Well, the Democrats have a problem. How do they remove um, the, the president from the ballot in 2024? How do you do that without opening up to President Harris? How do you do that? Well, that's, the, that's a dilemma for them. have to remove himself. Yes, he would. So there you go. Even some of those um, squad members, the first one, maybe the first domino to fall, AOC, she's going to support Joe Biden. He's probably old enough. I'm, I can't remember how old she is, but certainly he's old enough to be her grandfather, maybe even her great-grandfather. I don't know, but it's really unusual for a quote-unquote progressive member from the left in the Democrat Party supporting so-called Mr. Democrat Party moderate Joe Biden for president. That should tell people a lot. Something nobody's been talking about. You remember in that debt renewal that happened, one of the things that was negotiated in was to get Joe Manchin's support for the previous big deal. And I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't infrastructure. I think it was the first big Biden spending deal. To get it passed, Manchin had to vote yes. And one of the reasons that Manchin, who's a conservative Democrat from West Virginia, agreed to vote yes was they were promising him he would get a bunch of, uh, con not control, but a bunch of legislative and government action to ease up on restrictions on the coal industry in his state because Joe Biden had come out, as you know, very aggressively in his Green New Deal stuff in his first couple of years, anti-fossil fuel across the board, coal being one of the big things, and it started shutting down industry across West Virginia. And it got even worse because there was and had been a big major oil pipeline running across the state of West Virginia and the uh, conservatives, those big not-for-profit groups had kept it in court for years and they agreed that they would support that going forward if Manchin would fall in line with them. And he did. Well, guess what happened yesterday? A federal appeals court has once again halted construction on that pipeline, the Mountain Valley Pipeline being built through Virginia and West Virginia. And that's despite Congress passing legislation that ordered, in that bill I was just referencing that was signed into law, it ordered all necessary permits to be issued immediately on that pipeline. This stay that was issued yesterday by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond comes after the law passed by Congress, which was part of the bipartisan bill to raise the debt ceiling, also stripped the court, the Fourth District, excuse me, 
Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. It stripped that court of its jurisdiction over the pipeline, this particular pipeline. The law passed by Congress and signed by the president is clear. The Fourth Circuit no longer has jurisdiction over this pipeline construction permits. That's Joe Manchin, a supporter of the project. He tweeted Monday about the ruling. This new order halting construction is unlawful, and regardless of your position on it, it should alarm every American when a court ignores the law. The provision in the debt ceiling package that green-lighted this billion-dollar, 303-mile Mountain Valley pipeline, which, by the way, is 94% complete, but has been mired in a lengthy permitting process for years, had been cheered by West Virginia lawmakers who have touted the project's expected massive economic benefits. But the Fourth Circuit has blocked construction of the pipeline on numerous occasions over the years. The stay of construction issued by the court on Monday focuses on just a short three-mile section of pipeline that cuts through the Jefferson National Forest. Environmentalists, here they come. Tree huggers say the construction plan is going to cause erosion that will ruin soil and water quality. The Wilderness Society organization is challenging a U.S. Forest Service in court. That, by the way, the Forest Service said it would be fine. Environmentalists argued Congress overstepped its authority by enacting the law, saying it violates the separation of powers outlined in the Constitution. How the heck does it, how does that happen? That's what Congress does, is they make laws. (laughs) Oh my gosh, what are we coming to? I mean, we have bureaucrats political bureaucrats that are running every segment of our nation. We, the people, we can't say squat anymore. We're going to get slapped down by some judge somewhere. You give people a little bit of power and what do they do? They act like they got a whole lot of power. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. Juice drinks, sodas, and sports drinks are loaded with added sugars and calories and have little or no nutritional value. Sugary drinks can destroy teeth, cause obesity, and lead to type 2 diabetes. Sugar Bites. Protect your kids. Playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a... 
pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. Well, we have the first gunshot being fired in that hearing in the House today with uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray. Republican Florida Rep. Matt Gates questioned Christopher Wray about the Bureau's allegedly lenient conduct towards investigations of President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, at this hearing, asking him whether the FBI was protecting the family. And he quoted this. This is one of uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's greatest quotes that'll be, uh, it'll be branded somewhere in history. Quote, I'm sitting here with my father. Of course, this is Hunter talking on the phone. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I'm sitting here for the call with my father. Gates is quoting what Hunter said. That WhatsApp message by Hunter Biden to a Chinese businessman. This is according to the IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley, who was released released this uh, WhatsApp file in June. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, Director? Ray responded that he was not... This is the standard response they are giving now. Everybody that has anything to do with law and law enforcement, Christopher Ray. Oh, I can't comment. I just can't comment on the matter. The FBI and Department of Justice have been investigating Hunter Biden since 2020, and he recently pled guilty to tax and gun charges. You seem rather uncurious about it, almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens, Gates asked. Absolutely not, Ray responded. Gates then commented on the difference in Ray's answers. But you won't answer the question of whether this was a shakedown. And everybody knows why you won't answer it, because everybody knows that to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is revealing about you, Mr. Director. There are going to be more fireworks out of this. And what we're going to do, we're going to document it. And in tomorrow morning's show, we're going to bring you some of the segments, what you're going to hear. It's going to be uh, epic. I believe this will be one of the committee hearings that goes down in the annals of history. And it probably, if it hasn't already gotten to this point, the testimony by Christopher Ray to this committee today may determine his lifespan going forward as director of the FBI. Now, I didn't say that with any comment or inference at all about his real biological life. I was referencing only his life as FBI director. Isn't it sad that today on this show and other shows like this, you have to make abundantly clear when you speak something that could be taken as negative in any way it could be that I attacked the life of, 
of a man in government. That's not what I meant at all, his life as FBI director. And speaking of things that are FBI-related, did you know there are more Twitter files that came out yesterday? So yesterday, Matt Taibbi is the journalist that got this latest batch of, of Twitter files, and he pointed to one email exchange where Twitter immediately suspended accounts flagged by the FBI, sent to the Twitter from the FBI, Without any investigation on Twitter's part, Twitter later couldn't point to solid proof to back up the FBI's allegations that resulted in Twitter taking them down. So Matt Taibbi said, and this is a quote, in one shot, you can see the FBI asks to remove three accounts. That gets forwarded to Twitter. Twitter immediately suspends them, the three accounts. But more importantly, when there's a glitch and the accounts remain up, the FBI immediately writes back and says, what's the deal? We just wrote to you. Why is it still up? So that shows the nature of the relationship, basically, that it's not really a collaboration. It's much more like somebody reporting to an authority. And Taibbi added this, what happens in these instances, in the ones that I was showing, They're just forwarding names of accounts that they say are associated with foreign threat actors. It's very vague, and Twitter's taking them down before they even investigate. In this case, they later determined that they couldn't find anything connecting them to any bad actors. In fact, one of them was from Canada. And so that's the problem. If it's not connected with a crime, they're just asking to uh, take accounts down because they don't like the profile of those accounts. Why is it that we, the people, have to keep going back and looking behind to catch the wrongdoing being pers- uh, being implicated, instigated, and being done by government people that are supposed to work for us? One would think the FBI would be the people that would go after to stop this kind of stuff happening. (laughs) Well, it was the FBI that was perpetrating it. Why would they try to stop themselves? Senator Ted Cruz and some of his fellow Republican members of the Senate's Commerce Committee, today they're circulating a memo that highlights left-wing climate initiatives that kind of snuck into President Biden's 2024 budget request. Cruz is the ranking member of the Commerce Committee. He sent a memo to Republican members of the Senate Appropriations, Commerce, Justice, Science Subcommittee, who he asked to reject the provisions that were highlighted in his memo. That memo detailed inclusions in the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration called the NOAA, NOAA, National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, National Institutes of Standards and Technology, NIST, and National Science Foundation, NSF. The memo first pointed out that NOAA's is to provide daily weather forecast, severe storm warnings, climate monitoring to fisheries management, and coastal restoration, and to support marine commerce. It added that the committee should oppose any NOAA funding that goes beyond its core mission, 
which is to advance equity or address climate change and environmental justice. For example, members of NOAA's Coastal Management 2023 through 2025 Fellowship are working on projects focused on equity and environmental justice. Cruz stated his opposition to funding for any research or fellowship program that pushes those goals. In other words, he doesn't like the American taxpayer supporting or having to pay for that. NOAA's 24 budget request asked for $78.2 million to help NOAA build a climate-ready nation and implement one of Biden's climate-focused executive orders. The agency asked for another $9 million to support equity and workforce initiatives like an effort to support the seafood industry with environmental justice. Now, what the heck is the definition of environmental justice? It wasn't asked nor answered in the committee hearing. Cruz also stated opposition to a NOAA request of 1.2 mil and two full-time positions to expand the, quote, community social vulnerability toolbox. Did you get that? Community social vulnerability toolbox to address climate change concerns and racial equity in underserved coastal communities. Appropriated funds to NOAA should be focused on ensuring it can fulfill its core mission without diverting resources to any ancillary progressive causes, Cruz wrote in that memo, suggesting, for example, the NOAA uses funds for recapitalization of NOAA aircraft assets, which was not included in the budget request. The memo further laid out opposition to NASA's diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI programs, that include a 22 mil request, 22 million request for the space agency's Office of Diversity and Equal Opportunity. It also expressed skepticism about NASA's request for a $278 million increase for its Earth Science Program because of its emphasis on climate change, of course. The request would cover the NASA Sustainable Flight National Partnership which seeks to reduce fuel burn and help the aviation communities reach net zero carbon emissions by 2050. If the goal is to make imperceptible changes in CO2 emissions as part of the administration's zealous effort to micromanage global temperatures, then NASA should abandon such wasted mental energy. NASA should not become a plaything for any fossil fuel environment. Mentalist. The committee would like to see funding for these missions targeted at worthy scientific enterprise and not the advancement of political agendas. Cruz further pointed to a $2 million request for NASA to support climate smart agriculture, saying it was bizarrely included, represented mission creep, creep, C R E E P. In addition, Cruz stated, The committee doesn't support a request from NIST, an agency established to support U.S. industrial competitiveness, for $5.5 million to boost the climate change and environmental sustainability program. The Texas GOP also took aim at NIST requests for $2.2 million to support 
DEI programs. You, you just can't make this crap up. And that's all it is. It's crap. Do you know how many billions, billions of dollars, and we're now past billions, we're into hundreds of billions, and we're past hundreds of billions, we're into trillions of dollars, three trillion recognized, ferreted out, and found to be factual waste by this government in the last five years. Waste. That means it's unrecoverable. It's money that has been flushed down the government commode, and it's irretrievable. (sighs) What do we do? If you listened yesterday, you heard Steve Baker and I talking about it, and Steve was very, very adamant. He works closely with a bunch of different people in the government, different agencies, different members of Congress and their offices, a lot of different elements. He sees and knows things that you or I don't know. But he made one thing clear when it came up yesterday. If we the people let this whole process that we're talking about today and that we harp on almost every day, I know many of you when you listen in, you're tempted to say it's the same old stuff, the same old stuff. It's really not. But even if it is, it's real. It exists. And it's tearing us apart as a nation. It's destroying our economic structure. It's destroying our trust in each other, especially our trust in our government, members in our government. And it certainly obliterates our ability to listen to what our government tells us and to believe what they tell us. It's sad, but I can honestly tell you that when someone in government, in federal government today, goes public and says something specific, my fundamental perception when I hear what they say is, I don't believe it, and if it sounds important, I'll go find out if it's true, and then I'm ready to pat you on the back and say, attaboy. But up front, I'm not going to take anything I'm told. Anything that I hear or read coming out of this administration and every ancillary part of it, I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to believe it's a lie. I would have never thought I would be in that position when analyzing our government. I always felt like for many, many years in my life, I felt like Governments there and the people in the government on the most part are there to help us and to work for us. I don't feel that way anymore. And my not feeling that way anymore, it's justifiable because most of what we're told is not true. It's just simply not factual. Wasting money? They don't care about that anymore. After all, it's not, it's not their money. Of course, they look at it like it's their money, but none of it comes out of their pockets. It comes out of ours. And if they blow it and waste it and it goes away and it's lost, it's never going to be refound. We hate that. They tell us, but they make no, no tries at all to stop it from happening again. And especially to get that money back from the wrongdoers that ended up with it. How much of those $3 trillion, 
How much of that went into the pockets of people in government? Don't say it didn't happen. I guarantee you it happened. How can I say I guarantee that that happened? It's because it happens every day. People get caught doing it every day. Very seldom are those same people that get caught doing it held accountable for doing it. Why? Who would hold them accountable? It's the people that let it happen in the first place. Look at what's going on now in our government. We have all kinds of wrongdoing that are verified, documented, hard, cold evidence that proves wrongdoing by this president, by members of his family, and doing it in cahoots with the number one enemy we have as a nation on the planet, the Chinese government, the Chinese communist government, working hand-in-hand with this family to impact political decisions by this president and others in his administration for the good, not of the American people, but for the Chinese Communist Party. And it's because they have sold their influence for cold, hard cash. And millions, tens of millions of dollars have come to various Biden entities and members of the Biden family syndicate through wire transfer. And over the past years, banks that have received them, U.S. banks that have received them, they flagged them as questionable transactions and sent those up to the U.S. Treasury Department, where on the most part until now, they were buried. The only reason we found out about any of them is through congressional subpoena. How much corruption goes unknown? Who can we trust anymore? It doesn't matter what the issue is. When you hear one person that is a quote-unquote expert say factually it's this, and then another person comes right behind them who is an expert on the matter, and they say, no, factually, it's this. These are people that are supposed to have all the answers. I mean, the right answers, not opinions. And they're 180 degrees apart. Who do we trust? Therefore, my opinion now, I don't trust anybody. My first blush is to say they're lying. And then if it's an important issue, I'll exert the energy to go find out for myself and make a choice based upon what I find out is factual. It's tiring, and it takes a lot of effort to do it. We should, as Americans, not ever even have to talk about those things, let alone do those things on our own. We pay people handsomely to do those things. They ask us to send them to D.C. so they can work for us. Let me give you an example. This Ukraine-Russia invasion thing, it just smells. It smells. We're more than a year into this thing. And they tell us $110 billion, $114 billion. That's politispeak. Actually, I guarantee it's $150 billion at least. How much of that money, the cash part of that, that we have sent, ended up, in politicians' pockets, both on this side of the pond and on the other. Because I promise you, Volodymyr Zelensky is doing well financially. 
his family is doing well financially. And probably his cohorts over there are doing really, really well. And probably Vladimir Putin is too on a personal level. We don't know what his wealth is, but the aggravated wealth just that people know about in government, and they tell us he's worth hundreds of billions of dollars is Vladimir Putin. How much of that came from the United States? The rule to be a politician in the United States now, the number one rule is make sure you take care of yourself first. Because if you don't take care of yourself first, you're going to be left out in the cold because you'll be one of the only ones that doesn't do that. I'm not a conspirator. These are not conspiracy theories. These are fact. Now, speaking about Ukraine and this craziness over there that I can't put my thumb on, here's what Donald Trump said about it. Joe Biden should not be dragging us further toward World War III. This is in a statement he released yesterday calling to immediately end the bloodshed in Ukraine and for a return to a focus on America's vital interest. Trump was reacting to the Biden administration's recent decision to send those cluster munitions to Ukraine, despite Joe Biden admitting that we're low on them and all of our ammunition. It took me a while to be convinced to do it, but the main thing is they either have the weapons to stop the Russians now, keep them from stopping the Ukraine offensive through their these areas, or they don't, and I think they needed them. This is Biden, what he said to Vareed Zakaria, who we talked about earlier in this show, that interview that was aired over the weekend. Trump, on the other hand, believes it's a big mistake, asserting that Biden is essentially dragging us further towards World War III by sending cluster munitions to Ukraine. Trump warned, quote, He should be trying to end the war and stop the horrific death and destruction that's being caused by an incompetent administration. These unexploded custom munitions will be killing and maiming innocent Ukrainian men, women, and children for decades to come, long after the war we pray has ended. If, as Biden inadvertently admitted, he said, this is Trump still talking, The reason for sending cluster bombs now is that the U.S. is running out of ammunition, which is a great breach of classified information that only further emphasizes the urgency of immediately de-escalating this bloody, dangerous, and out-of-control conflict. It certainly means we should not be sending Ukraine our last stockpiles at a time when our very own arsenals, according to crooked Joe Biden, are so perilously diminished. There could be no more vivid proof that Joe Biden's policy of endless war in Ukraine has tremendously weakened the U.S. than the humiliating admission that the USA is now out of ammo, something our enemies are undoubtedly salivating over. This admitted weakness is an invitation to enemies all across the world. Joe Biden is needlessly and dangerously leading us into World War III which would be a nightmare beyond imagination. Obliteration, he said. Oh, my gosh. 
And speaking of Donald Trump, can't get away today before I let you listen in on this report that came out of Atlanta late yesterday about another impending indictment process of former President Trump. 11 Alive News at 5 p.m. starts now. First at five, some major news out of Fulton County. A grand jury has now been sworn in to handle the possible indictment of former President Donald Trump. Thanks so much for joining us this evening. I'm Faith Jesse. And I'm Jennifer Bellamy. Fulton County impaneled two grand juries today, one of which could spend days or even weeks deciding whether to bring criminal charges related to the 2020 presidential election. 11 Live's Doug Richards is live for us this evening from the courthouse. Doug. Yeah, about 100 Fulton County residents uh, got uh, dwindled down uh, during the course of the grand jury, uh, the process of picking jurors, dwindled down to uh, two grand juries, one of which will handle sort of normal courthouse business, and the other, which is expected to spend uh, the next couple of weeks, maybe more, uh, listening to an election interference case against former President Trump. A grand jury decides whether there's probable cause, whether there's more likely than not. Grand jury proceedings are secret, but Judge Robert McBurney gave the jury pool a public greeting in the hope that at least half of them could serve on the two grand juries. Georgia law says grand juries must have no fewer than 16 and no more than 23 members, plus two or three alternates. To return an indictment, 12 grand jurors must vote yes. There's this saying that says a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich at a grand jury. Former DeKalb DA Robert James says this would be no ordinary indictment. I would say when you're dealing with a public official or a police officer, that is absolutely not true. It can be tough. James expects prosecutors to spend days presenting evidence against the former president of illegal election interference. That evidence includes a recording of a phone call made to the Georgia Secretary of State in January 2021 asking him to find votes from the 2020 election that had not been cast for Trump. Because it's likely many of the grand jurors have strong opinions about Trump, James says the DA's office will have to present more evidence than it might in, say, an armed robbery case. Well, I don't want to say it's a mini trial, but they will present a lot of the evidence that they're going to present at trial. They may even call witnesses um, because these grand jurors are going to want more than just a word of a Fulton County DA's investigator. And in addition to presenting a case and perhaps getting an indictment, James says that Fulton County prosecutors can kind of use this proceeding as a dry run for a jury trial, presenting as much evidence as they can, and then getting live feedback from the jurors who are allowed to question them during the grand jury proceeding uh, and helping them weigh which evidence works and which doesn't. I'll just say this in closing about that. I'm not closing the show. I'm closing this particular segment, what you just heard, by telling you this. If there was any meat on that bone in Georgia, we'd already know about it. Everybody on the left, legacy media, they'd have been all over it. And finally, anti-woke businessman Vivek Ramaswamy has climbed to number three. He's in third place in the polls in the latest morning consult. Governor DeSantis drops into the teens, and Donald Trump continues to lead with majority support. Listen to the numbers. Let me give them to you as we get ready to go and get into another big day here. Trump, 49%. He's 33 ahead of DeSantis at 16%. 
Ramaswamy, 10%. Pence, 5 Nikki Haley, 5 Scott, 4%. Christie, 2%. Suarez, 1%. Burgum, 1%. Youngkin, Hutchison, Perry, Hurd, and Elder, 0 Nobody has even hit the uh, positive from those candidates. Head-to-head, Trump, 60%. DeSantis, 32%. It's a horse race. And sadly, maybe sadly, sadly for at least those candidates, nobody's able to pierce that big difference so far. Well, well, well. It's a wrap on Wednesday's show. Thanks for being here. We'll see you at 9 tomorrow morning, right back here. Please don't see Just a boy caught up in dreams and fantasies Please see me Reaching out for someone I can see Take my hand, let's see what we up tomorrow best laid plans sometimes it's just a one night stand I'll be damned Cupid's demanding back his arrow so let's get drunk on our Tuesday God tell us the reason you just wasted on the And the lambs are on the road Searching for meaning But are we all lost stars Trying to light up the dark Who are we? Just a speck of dust I care for